BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for another episode of Sci-Fi Wire's Behind the Panel, the podcast docuseries devoted to comics. I'm Mike Avila. As we all continue to follow the stay-at-home protocols, Hopefully this podcast provides a little breather and an opportunity to escape into the world of comics. I know it sounds a little different than our usual recordings. That's because instead of our usual studio, we're in my wonderfully geeky home office. Like everyone else, we're making do with what we have. And today we have for you one of the most versatile talents working in comics. The first work from Cecil Castellucci that I read was Shade the Changing Girl from DC's avant-garde young animal imprint. It blew my mind, and then I jumped all over a miniseries, Female Furies, based on some of Jack Kirby's Fourth World characters. But she's also done YA novels, created her own books, and even made that rarefied jump from Star Wars fan to Star Wars writer. Right now, she's in the middle of a run on Batgirl that is providing a fresh spin on one of comics' most beloved characters. Let's talk comics with Cecil Castellucci. A lot of comic book writers and artists handle a lot of different projects, but you handle a variety of projects in so many different spaces. Do you have a formula or some kind of method to kind of compartmentalize your creativity to tackle a novel as opposed to a superhero comic and whatnot? I guess it's kind of twofold. The first thing is, is that I listen to the story that I want to tell and I figure out what the best way to tell that story is. And then the second thing is like if I'm doing Batgirl or Female Furies or Shade the Changing Girl, like when I'm doing a licensed character, I do a lot of homework so that I can pull in things from what came before, but also try to make it my own. It's a little harder with something like Batgirl in the shared universe. There's a little bit less wiggle room in that, but there's still ways to get things in there. How much research do you do in terms of back issues and trades on the character that you're about to take over and handle? Everything. I go back and I read everything. Right now with Batgirl, I'm halfway through the second volume of the Bronze Age omnibus that they did. Other than that, I read everything that was pertinent and I go back and I ask for reference things. So, you know, Jason Bard is a big character in my book. And if you look at the history of Batgirl, Jason Bard is the best boyfriend that Babs ever had, you know, in the original run. He's just incredible. Literally the nicest guy. Vietnam vet, has detective skills, like he's great. So that was really important because the Jason Bard that I was handed was a very different Jason Bard. And I had to try to find a way to make him more likable when he had done such unlikable things and Batgirl hates him. And it's really helpful to go back to source material and be able to pluck little things out so that I like the character that I have to make nice. And then also, you know, I ask my editors, like, can I get all the Batmans that are going on now so I understand what's happening? 
But at the same time, you also have to just be telling your own stories because otherwise it's dependent on everything and you want it to be sort of standalone as well. But you have to tip and nod and honor what is happening in the larger DC universe. You know, Batgirl, when I started, she was in Year of the Villain. She was in Leviathan. She was in City of Bane. She was in everything, you know? So and I had to make sure that I could fold that in, but also not be so beholden to it that I don't have a way forward, you know? I have a new artist. I'm working with the amazing Robbie Rodriguez now. I was with Carmini DiGiomenico, and now Robbie's come in for issue 47, which is Batgirl's Joker War situation. And so that was already finished. So I'm trying to just move forward with my plans. But it's funny because, you know, I am thinking about, well, what happens after this little mini thing that's going to happen in 48 and 49? Because it's an issue 50. And I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, what is going to happen here? Because I really am a big believer that art is part of the times that we're in. And so it would be weird to not reflect that in some way. But I also think that art is great in times like this because it's escapism. So, you know, you don't want to like have everybody like Batgirl in her crappy apartment. You want to make sure that just like in the Great Depression, you had Fred and Ginger doing dance movies and they were drinking champagne all the time. I think it's important to like have art that reflects the times, but also is a form of escape. So I'm trying to figure out what that balance might be. How else has the pandemic impacted your other projects? One of my dark horse books, Frozen 2, is on hiatus right now. I feel fairly confident that that one will come out because it's Frozen 2 and I think people will want that. But there was another project that I was doing with Dark Horse that is on scheduling hiatus and, you know, pencils down. And I don't know what will happen with that one. That's hard, you know. For me right now, it's more like a lot of pitches that I have in and projects that I was hoping to like start to sort of figure out what my next thing was. I had a big year last year with Girl on Film and The Plain Janes. And as everyone's sort of trimming their lines, that's where it's affecting me. And then also, all of my events have been canceled. All my school visits, all my book festivals, all my comic book festivals. Have you found yourself more productive? you found yourself having a little trouble getting the creative juices going sometimes? Yeah, I think it's really important to not have that pressure to like produce crazy amounts of work right now. I know that everything that I'm doing is taking me three times, four times longer than I usually do just because I think we all have this and we have to acknowledge we have this. Everybody has a low grade anxiety that's happening. So I've been trying to do little projects. I started an exquisite corpse project with a bunch of writers. They instigated it. So we're telling a story backwards. And then I found all these weird vintage postcards that I bought from like a flea market. And so I've been writing micro stories and mailing them to whoever. So it's just kind of like keeping the muscle going, but it's not the sort of pressure of having to like finish a novel or three novels or a new opera or something. With the collaborative story, which has people like Josh Dysart has contributed and Joe Pye, Jose Pimento, who did Soupy Leaves Home with me, and a bunch of other big writers are contributing and comic books can be both. That keeps me connected to people. You know, I'm alone. I don't live with anybody. I'm just by myself, you know. And so mailing a postcard to someone or instigating this project keeps me in that sort of collaborative, collected art unity <laughs> Email me your snail mail and I will send you an original micro story. <laughs> we'll be back with more from Cecil Castellucci right after these short messages. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to Behind the Panel. Let's return to my conversation with Cecil Castellucci. What are you reading during all this extra time you have at home? In between writing your scripts and everything else you're doing, have you latched on to certain books? First of all, I found it a little bit hard to read. Lately, I'm a big reader, but I found it a little bit hard to read. I'm in a book club with the LA Kings, the official LA Kings podcast, because I'm a hockey fan. And so I just read the book for that. It's uh, the Bobby Orr memoir. And then I'm very slowly making my way through N.K. Jemison's trilogy. I think it's called The Inheritance Trilogy. The first one is called The Fifth Season. And then I've been reading Doom Patrol, the Grant Morrison one, because the world is crazy <laughs> That's kind of crazy. I did bring what's on my to-read piles. Number one, I think a book that is great is Cena Grace's Ghosted in L.A., which is about these ghosts from different time periods in Los Angeles who are kind of trapped in this old mansion. And this girl who's alive from college is their roommate. And so I feel like that's a kind of read-alike to what we're going through as we're all kind of ghosts <laughs> trapped in our own apartment. Um, the Oracle Code by Mariki Nitschkamp, because it's, you know, Barbara Gordon. So that's my girl. And then I found this in my bookshelf, and I thought this would be timely because we're also in a Twilight Zone. So I got the Twilight Zone. So, you know, I'm keeping on brand a little. <laughs> you know, some people have gone to the comfort food, the 1970s superhero books, and then others are kind of embracing the absurdity and the craziness of the times. You're kind of like in the middle, I think, because great thing about Graham Morris's stories is they're always kind of right there on that thin line between reality and absurdity. So that's good. Yeah. Like I said, I've been finding it hard to focus on reading and writing. Everything's taking me a lot longer. But one thing I've been doing, too, is I've been doing a lot of gardening. I've been growing things from my kitchen scraps. So I sprouted some tomato seedlings and uh, I had a bell pepper and I, I put all the seeds in a pot and I got two little seedlings. So I'm growing food, you know. <laughs> It's like if I talk to the plants, then I'm not like a crazy. Who says you're not being insanely productive? You're growing fruit, for goodness sakes. Come on. How's the Disney movie rewatch going? Oh, thank you. Yes, that is another performance art project that I'm doing in my mind. It's going really well. It's fascinating. Up today is going to be The Three Caballeros. I'm going to watch every single Disney film in order because a lot of them I've seen, but I haven't seen them for, you know, many, many years. And some of them I've never seen. My rule is it's just Disney, Pixar, or DreamWorks. It's not Touchstone or Hollywood Films or Lucasfilm. And that's still going to be like 450. This could be a lifelong project. You shocked me by how much you disliked Fantasia. 
Oh, yeah, I really don't like it. And I know it's a classic. And I'm not saying that the animation wasn't beautiful. There are some beautiful things. But I remember I didn't like it when I was little. And I was watching and I was like, still don't like it. Which is the movie that you've watched so far in the rewatch that has surprised you the most? I would have to say Pinocchio. I really liked it. I hadn't seen that since I was very little as well. And I was like, this movie is really good. I mean, Snow White as well. But I didn't start with Snow White because I had watched it like a hundred times because I just did the graphic novel retelling of Snow White. But um, I think maybe this is where my problem with Fantasia is. And also like the other night I watched Saludos Amigos. And I think for me, I like story. So I think for me, Fantasia and Saludas Amigos, there's not a story there, you know? I mean, they're just kind of beautiful animation, but not a story that I can latch sure. onto. And I crave narrative, you know? So that's why I think Bambi, I was like, this, there's no story here. <laughs> like, And I really think, I mean, I know Pinocchio, it's called Pinocchio, but I really think the star of that movie is Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> like, Jiminy learns just as much as Pinocchio, I think what's really interesting about, and I suspect it'll be the same thing about Three Caballeros, is that, you know, the Reluctant Dragon and Saludos Amigos, you can really tell that they are trying to expand their narrative horizons and that they're experimenting with things and they're experimenting with stories. And you can kind of, like, Bambi feels like the circle of life. You can see the seeds of the Lion King in Bambi, you know? And so that, I think, is really fascinating. And that's why I think this rewatch is going to be super interesting because I think you're going to see how creators create and how we get inspired by sort of what came before and how you have to learn some things and experiment and like take detours and make mistakes and hone your skills. And so I think that's going to be really fascinating. I do have a hashtag. It's a hashtag. All Disney movies are bust. <laughs> okay. I'm joining you for the next one. Another movie question. People who know you know how big of a Star Wars fan you are. You camped out for The Phantom Menace in 1999. Looking back 21 years now, what's the memory that sticks in your mind the most from that experience? Well, it's funny because it was actually 21 years, April 7th. That's when I joined the line. You know, I got to say it's probably the friendships. You know, I'm still friendly with a bunch of the people that I was friends with on the line. That connection, it's just like you went through a thing together. And like, that's the thing that sticks out the best. Not the movie. He <laughs> didn't stick out. Yeah. <laughs> so you have this unique perspective that you were a fan of Star Wars first, and then you've been a pro who's dabbled in the Star Wars universe. We all know that there's a certain small but vocal faction that kind of makes things difficult for some Star Wars creators. Do you still have the same love for the franchise having been on the other side of the fence? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that even though I have like a push-pull relationship with Star Wars, some years I'm like, oh yeah, I love it. And some years I'm like, nah, who cares? It's an ever-evolving but lifelong love affair that I'm going to have with it. And, you know, maybe it means that I don't necessarily read every comic or every novel or, you know, every single little tiny thing. But I love Star Wars. I'm always going to love it. I love that people are adding to the canon, you know, whether I know what it is or not. I just think that it's a wonderful, wonderful playground and love it and hate it. That's a beautiful relationship when you can be that passionate and spicy about something. I want to thank Cecil Casalucci for taking a break from her planting and Disney movie watching to talk with me. I can't wait to receive my micro story, Cecil. If you liked what you heard, we have lots more behind the panel podcasts for you. All you have to do to listen is subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Check out YouTube and subscribe to the Sci-Fi Wire channel. And don't forget about my weekly column at sci-fiwire.com. 
Big props to my podcast team, executive producer Matt Romano, producer, composer, and editor Paul Terry, mixer and masterer Dave Draper, and I'm your host, Mike Avila. Until next time, be safe, be smart, be good to your neighbors. Keep washing your hands.